Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, please do so uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26. And as Psalm 139.14 tells us, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are this incredibly designed and crafted thing (laughs) that is both beautiful and functional. Our bodies carry within them the sense of beauty in the ways that they have been put together, but they're also capable of incredible feats. And our bodies are constructed in amazing ways. And those of you that took biology in college or are doctors, you know more than even I do. But, but as we consider just the nature of the body, do you know that your body contains over 100,000 miles of blood vessels? Crazy to think. That your lungs contain over 1,500 miles of airway passages. That your taste buds There are 8,000 taste buds on your tongue. That our eyes are the equivalent of a 576 megapixel camera. So like, how does that compare to like the world's best cameras? The world's best camera is like 20 megapixels. And yet here are our eyes, 576 megapixels. We also are capable, our eyes are capable of taking in 10 million bits of info per second. And as many of you know, because you learned this in elementary school, your body contains over 200 bones. But did you also know you have, over, you have 2.5 million sweat pores? <laughs> yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> Some of you may have more than that. <laughs> our bodies are a wonder of design. And when our bodies are put to use at the fullest capacity, we're capable of some incredible feats, like running the mile in three minutes and 43 seconds. I just get exhausted thinking about that. Or running 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. Or how about this one? Do you know that a human being has actually bench pressed over 1,100 pounds? I know that's Justin Bourgeois' goal someday. (laughs) We'll see, I'm helping him try to get there. And someone has bench pressed 1,100 pounds as well. Pastor Paul says that he got close one time. We'll see. (laughs) But our bodies, incredible ingenuity, incredible craftsmanship, incredible beauty. At the same time, we can also have problems viewing our bodies with that much awe and wonder. Is it not true that at times we have bad view and bad beliefs about our bodies that cause us to underestimate, to to even hate our bodies, to maybe even misuse and mistreat our bodies. Like we can miss the beauty and the power and the wonder. And we can miss what our bodies are actually capable of if we put our all towards it. But our physical bodies are not the only bodies that have been beautifully designed wonderfully designed for great purpose and function, beautifully designed to accomplish wonders on this earth. Our bodies are not the only bodies here of great value and worth. It's not the only bodies that at times we can misunderstand and underestimate and even mistreat and abuse. There is another body where we can get poor body image and that can affect the way that we engage this body. And so this morning, we are continuing, as been mentioned, our series in 1 Corinthians. And here in chapter 12, 
the Apostle Paul is laying out for us what it means to be spiritual people who exercise spiritual gifts. And the past couple weeks, we have seen him sort of building out a case of what that means. And so two weeks ago, we saw that the essence of true spirituality is this truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then last week, we saw that among us who belong to the Spirit, we have been unified, but there's also great diversity in those gifts. And key to understanding our use of spiritual gifts, as we're going to see this morning, is that we understand the nature of this body, which is the church. And so the title for my message this morning is Body Image. And just as we can have body image problems when it comes to our physical bodies, we can have body image problems when it comes to the church, which is the body of Christ. Just as our physical bodies are meant to flourish and be used for good, the church is meant to flourish and be active in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. And friends, too often our use of spiritual gifts and our understanding of spirituality goes sideways because our view of the church goes sideways, or even more so, our attitude about the church goes sideways. And so for us to properly understand what it means to be spiritual, for us to healthily and properly use our spiritual gifts, we need to have our body image views corrected. We need to have a proper view of this body. And so the main point for us this morning from this passage, the proper body image that God's word calls us to have is this. Every part connected, every part needed. Every part connected, every part needed. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that God would, by his word and his spirit, shape us in this truth so that we might be a more spirit-filled community. And so as I mentioned uh, last week, we saw this argument Paul is making in chapter 12 about the church being this unity in diversity. The church is one, we are unified, but there's also a diversity. We're made up of a variety of spiritual gifts. And Paul is continuing this argument, but he's going to use the analogy of a human body. And so he starts with this sense that the body is both one and many. He says in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. The body is one, and it has many parts, but then flip it around, it has many parts, but it is one body. And just as that is the case with our physical bodies, it is the case with, he says here, Christ, meaning the body of Christ, the church. And so here, here's where he starts again, this point of unity, which becomes so important because he's going to circle back even as he works through this idea of diversity. And he starts by saying this, hey, if you are in Christ, you have been baptized by the Spirit into one body. If you are in Christ, you've been baptized by the Spirit, meaning you have been washed, you have been renewed, you have been transformed, you've been given new life by the Spirit. And if you've been baptized by that spirit, if you are in Christ, you've been baptized into one body. You've been brought into the church. And so again, he starts with this sense of unity. One spirit, one body. And he says it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, meaning it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your, your social class, how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what your gift is. It doesn't matter if you are vaccinated or unvaccinated, as Ian said. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. Whatever the distinction, it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, you have been baptized into one body. 
It doesn't ma- mean that distinctions don't matter. They don't have meaning in our life. But what it does mean is this. The thing that defines you most is not that distinction. It's baptized into, by one spirit into one body. That is what defines us if you are in Christ. That's what defines you if you are in Christ. Paul's starting here with this sense of unity because the moment we start talking about diversity, we forget pretty quickly that we're unified. So one, if you're in Christ, baptized by one spirit into one body. Now just let me add one quick point here. This goes for all who are in Christ. There are some who teach that being baptized in the spirit is something that happens after you become a Christian. But what does this passage tell us? We have all been baptized by one spirit. If you are in Christ, you have been baptized by the spirit, not a second sort of blessing, not something that happens after conversion. If you are in Christ, you've been baptized by the spirit. If you haven't been baptized by the spirit, it means you haven't been baptized in the church. And there are, there, the Bible has no category for anybody being outside of the church, but in Christ. So what this verse clearly tells us is if you are in Christ, good news for you, you've been baptized by the Spirit into one body. And what this also means for us, church, spirit-filled life. We talk about true spirituality, being spirit-filled, because we want that, right? We want the power of the Spirit in our lives and all that entails. What does this verse tell us about the Spirit's work in our life? Unity. Unity. To have been baptized by the Spirit has, is to have been brought into one body, the church. The Spirit's work in your life is to unify you and bring you into relationship with other believers. If you are not walking in relationship with other believers, if you are not part of the church and committed to that oneness, you're not being led by the Spirit. The Spirit's power is not having its way in your mind, in your heart. So important, church. Like we talk about the Spirit-filled life and we want to immediately jump to all the gifts and the pyrotechnics and all of sort of the show. But here Paul starts with a very clear exhortation to us to be Spirit-filled, to be baptized by the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, means unity, oneness, and connected to that oneness. Not just oneness in theory and abstract principle, but oneness in reality. Oneness in our lives and how we live. One body, because we've been baptized by one spirit. So he starts with this oneness, emphasizes this oneness, but then he moves to the diversity. He moves to this sense that we are to embrace and celebrate and protect and live out diversity of these parts. As verse 14 says, indeed the body is not one part, but many. Not just one part. Though we are one, we're not just one part, but there are many parts. Our oneness does not mean sameness. As the body is made up of a beautiful diversity of parts, so is the church. Oneness does not mean sameness. But it's it's hard, let's be honest, it's hard living this out. And diversity makes things difficult in a lot of ways. In our sin, in our weakness, in our brokenness, diversity is so quick to divide us. And so we struggle. We struggle with this notion of being one body, one church, but diversity, many parts. And, and here's sort of the, I think there's two sides of the problem Paul implies. There are two sides of the same coin to be sure but implied in these verses are kind of two ways that we can have body image problems, so to speak. The first one is self-pity. 
Self-pity, meaning we believe because we aren't a certain part of the body, we aren't part of the body at all, or we're a lesser part of the body. Here's what Paul writes in verses 15 and 16. As a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. Hey, because your foot is not your hand, does that mean your foot isn't part of the body? No, it's ridiculous to think that, right? If I were like, ah, you ain't my hand, so you're not really part of my body. It's ridiculous. I mean, Paul is being absurd here on purpose because we would never say that. But do we ever say, well, because I don't have this gift, I'm not a part of the body. Because I don't have this gift, I'm less a part of the body. Do we ever do that? Yeah. Is it any less ridiculous? No. For for us to say that because I don't have this particular gift or I serve in this particular role, I'm not part of the body or I'm less part of the body is just as ridiculous to look at your foot and say, because you're not my hand, you're not part of the body. It's an absurd illustration. And how often do we live in this absurdity? How often do we allow ourselves to fall into the body image problem of self-pity and believe because we do not have certain gifting or certain roles that we're not connected to the body? Oh, church, it's so easy to fall into self-pity. Is this where you live? Now, now let's be honest. It, It can seem at times that the church can value or maybe even just exercise certain gifts more so than others. This happens. And sometimes that happens not for bad reasons. It's just because the needs of the moment require certain gifting or where a church is in its particular history. Sometimes that can happen because there is oversight, because there is an immaturity and the church needs to grow in using all of the gifts. But but here's what we need to come to grips with, church. There's never a perfect equilibrium that takes place in the church where all gifts are being used perfectly and equally. Like that doesn't even happen in your normal life. Think of your body. Do you use all parts of your body equally all the time? No. And sometimes this is just because of what's in front of you. Sometimes it's because you're actually neglecting certain parts of your body and you need to be working them more. But there's always this sense that it's never a perfect equilibrium. So what we have to come to grips with, what we we have to wrestle with, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do when it's not our gifts that are being used? It's not necessarily our strengths that are at the forefront of how the church is exercising its gifts. What do you do with that? When it's sort of not your time, do you pull back? Do you retreat? Do you disconnect? Do you sort of say, well, my gift isn't needed, and so I'm not needed? Do you start to see yourself as less than part of the community? Do you get bitter and angry at other people who have a particular gift? Do you get frustrated with your pastors because they haven't created such and such ministry so that you can use your gift, or they haven't asked you to do certain things? This temptation lives in all of us. And I'm not saying that there aren't times where, yeah, the church needs to grow and mature so that all gifts are used, but what do you do 
with the lack of equilibrium because we're always going to be there. What do you do with that? Do you fall into pity? What do you do when you're afoot but it seems like hands are being used more or seem to be needed more? What do you do when you're an eye but they're, being, they're asking for ears? How do you respond? Do you have the body image problem of self-pity? The second body image problem Paul addresses is self-sufficiency. Believing that you don't need certain parts of the body. But when this happens, what Paul points out is, one, we become less effective and less powerful, and actually what is created is something unnatural, a monstrosity. Here's what he writes in verses 17 through 21. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Okay, what he's conjuring up here is just think of if your entire body was an eye, that'd be kind of weird, be kind of gross, be kind of scary. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Look, if our entire body was only an eye, then all we could do was see. And what would we not be able to do? Hear, talk, taste, move, run, build things. There would be so many things that we could not do if our entire body was just one part. A one-part body is very limited in power. It may be able to do one thing very well, but it is limited in power. Not only is it limited, it's a little bit freaky. It's a little bit unnatural. I mean, you think of this, your eyes. Man, they're beautiful when they're set in your head. Like, the person you're in love with, you gaze into their eyes, and you're like, oh, you have beautiful eyes. <laughs> but if you were to, like, pop your eyeball out and just hold it up, if you just saw, like, an eyeball laying on the ground, it'd be a little freaky, right? Something is wrong with that. The beauty in that part would be lost. Now, some of you might think, I'd like to, you know, take it apart and look at it. Well, now you're just dissecting and analyzing, right? <laughs> Which is weird. <laughs> so, so when our parts become disconnected, if it's solely sort of floating there in isolation, the beauty is lost. It's when we're connected to the body that our gifts and our talents come to life and become beautiful. It's when they're connected to the body that they actually become powerful and all those parts together serve one purpose and that's where the power is. When we disconnect, when we live self-sufficiently, when we say we don't need other people, then we become less than we were intended to be. Our gifts become less powerful than they were intended to be. And our gifts actually become distorted. And so the question we need to ask for ourselves here is, in using your gifts, in living as part of church community, are you connected to the body as you use those gifts? Meaning, are you connected to the other parts? If you are an eye, so to speak, are you connected to the head and to the ears and to the mouth and to the nose? If you are a hand, are you connected to the arm and to the body? Whatever part it may be, are you connected to the whole body as you use your gifts? Or do you live self-sufficiently as if you didn't need other people? 
Now, I'm, I'm guessing that most of us, because I know a lot of you, and I've never really met any of you that are like this, so I'm, I'm going to say most of us in this room aren't this way, where we just outright go, I don't need anybody, I got it myself. Like, no one's that cocky and arrogant and saying, my gift is the only gift that matters in the church. Like, we don't say it that explicitly. We're not that arrogant outwardly. But we can be just as self-sufficient and just as arrogant. It just comes a little bit more subtly. Comes packaged a little bit differently. And so, again, let me ask you this question. Are you using your gifts in a self-sufficient way? Or are you connected to the body? Here's, here's how you can know. Are you only concerned about how you can use your gifts but not concerned for other people. Your part matters. Whatever part you are in the body, that is what matters. We need an outlet for that. I don't care about anything else, but I just really want this. And if we don't get this, then it doesn't matter. Are you concerned only with your gifts and your role, but no concern for others? Are you only interested in serving if the responsibility fits your strength? Will you only serve in ways that sort of match your gifting or will you be willing to serve in any particular way you're needed? Or how about this one? Do you see your gifts and your calling as something that you sort of have been given by God independently and so it is on you to go fulfill that calling and so you can take or leave church? Like if a church wants to validate my calling, I'll be there. If they don't want to validate my calling, I'm bouncing. Like, like, do you see the calling of God on your life starting from a place of individualism? Or do you see that calling as being part of one body because you've been baptized by one spirit? Huge. This is huge. And this is big within the evangelical church in the United States. We have been told over and over and over again that God's got a call on your life, which is true. But where does that calling originate and start from? Not you, isolated individual. You as part of the body of Christ. How do you exercise and live out that calling? Not you just sort of bouncing around wherever God may call you. No, as part of the local church. That is how God has called you. Is that how you see your gifts and your calling and your life? Connected to something bigger, connected to the body? Or are you a free-floating eyeball? How about this one? Do you get frustrated when someone else's gift or role is honored but not yours? Do you let others speak into your life and help you grow in your gifts and your responsibility and your role? Do you see, I need my brothers and sisters. If I'm going to be faithful to God in whatever it is that he's called me, however it is he's gifted me and wired me, I need my brothers and sisters to do that faithfully? Like, do you see your need? Or do you got this yourself? Just you and Jesus, that's all you need. Friends, here's what happens when, that, when, when we live that way. We're less powerful, and selfishness starts to distort our gifts. Like, have you ever seen someone who's incredibly gifted, but their selfishness and self-regard has so warped that practice of the gift that you're like, man, that's just gross. It's sad. It's sad when that happens. Hey, here's another way to look at this self-sufficiency, and I, I want us, church, to not just regard into us, our, ourselves individually, but think of us as a community. 
Because here's what also can happen for City Church. We as a community be, can become limited in our ability when we only value particular gifts, when we think all we need are these gifts and we'll be fine. Like churches can do this where they start to value, hey, as long as we got the teaching and preaching, we don't have to worry about service. Or as long as we got service, we don't need the prayers of faith. Like we as a community can start to sort of become self-sufficient as long as we got these things, we don't need these other things and we miss the power comes when all of them are being used, all of them are being valued, that we need them. Again, not to say that all of them will be exercised equally at the same time, but when we see, hey, it might not be exercised as much right now, but we still need it. Like, I might not be using my feet as much as I'm using my hands right now, but I certainly still need my feet. I might not be using my ears as much as my eyes, but I certainly still need them. They're still vital, still important. And actually, my eyes can't function as they should without my ears. Is that how we view our gifts? Or are we self-sufficient? And so self-pity, self-sufficiency, these are two body image problems that can affect our view of spirituality and affect how we live in the church and how we exercise our gifts. So how do we guard against these? How do we push back against these body image problems? Well, we go sort of back to where we began. We see the wonderful and beautiful diversity, but we see how that diversity is working towards a unity, working towards a common goal, a common love and a common concern. And so Paul starts by saying, this happens as we show honor to one another. As there is honor given in the church for the diversity of gifts, for all people in the church. Here's what he writes in 22 through 24. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. There are parts of the body that are weaker, and here Paul is likely referring to our internal organs. They're weaker, meaning if my liver were to fall out of my body, that is a very weak organ. There's not a lot of protection around it. It's easily damaged, or my heart, or my brain. These internal organs, they're weaker. However, they're indispensable. Like I can't live without my heart, or my brain, or my liver. Like there are weak parts of our body that are nonetheless needed. He also talks about these less honorable parts. These, these, these parts that we sort of, we, we clothe because we consider them less honorable. This is more than likely our sexual organs. Parts of our body that we cover up and protect. Like not everybody has access to those. And yet, Though they're considered less honorable, what do we do? We cover them, we show them honor. And so the, the point Paul is driving at here is that weaker and less honorable, things that we may view as weaker and less honorable, still are worthy of honor. And things that we, we may think are more honorable, hey, they are honored just as much as the things we think are less honorable. It's all honor here. Paul, Paul is driving, there is no part of the body, there is no part of the body, physically speaking, that doesn't have honor in some way, shape, or form. Like, like we cover certain parts of our body, we show certain parts of our body, but hey, when you look at the way those body parts are treated, they're all honored in different ways. 
Some parts of our body are strong and they're honored for the strength. Some parts of our body are weak and they're still honored because we know they're indispensable. It's the same thing in the church. Whether weak or strong, honorable or quote-unquote less honorable, all are shown honor. All are seen as needed. Every part connected, every part needed. There is no part of the church, there's no person, there's no gift, there's no role that isn't shown honor or isn't to be shown honor. And so church, how do we get over the body image? How do we get over the issues of self-pity and self-sufficiency? By showing honor to one another. But by showing honor to all the gifts, all the roles, all the people in the church, if we are honoring one another, if we are more concerned about honoring and lifting up and building one another rather than ourselves, what's going to happen? Unity. Unity. Deep, strong unity. Thriving, growing life in the church. People using their gifts. People being encouraged. People being built up. That's going to happen if we are a culture of honor. And notice what happens when we honor one another this way as Paul writes in verses 25 through 26. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When the members focus on honoring one another, then no one is seen as less than. And no one, by God's grace, and hopefully, will feel less than. Like when we're honoring one another, there's little place for that self-pity to take hold and take root and grow. And as we're honoring one another, we begin to see, hey, I need you. And there's no self-sufficiency here because I see the way God has gifted you and the way God is using you. And I realize, man, I need that in my life because I'm not enough. I'm not enough. The world tells you you're enough, but you're not enough. (laughs) You need other people. And as we honor others, we live in the good of that. We live in the good of that. And there's no place for self-sufficiency. When we live in the good of honoring one another, we start to ditch the body image issues. We start to ditch the division that takes place, the resentment that can take place, the competition that can take place. When we are honoring one another, those things don't have a foothold. Those things don't have soil and ground to grow in. Rather, we're deeply unified. We experience the oneness that the Spirit has brought us into, the oneness that we exist in because of the Spirit. And what happens when this oneness becomes so strong? When one person suffers We all suffer. Like, have you ever stubbed your toe and it felt like it was your whole body was miserable? Like, just your toe's injured, one part in a small part, but it affects the entirety of your body. Why is that? Because your body is that connected. It's that connected, that unified. This is the picture of unity that we would love to see in the church, that we're so connected, so unified, that when one person suffers, we all feel it. We all feel it. We all endure it. We're for each other. We're encouraging one another. It's not one person suffering isolated and alone. No, we're so connected. And when that toe is stubbed, man, the head feels it. We all feel it. And also, we're so unified that when one person experiences a victory, we all rejoice. 
Like, look, when, when an author wins an award for writing a book, they don't praise his hand. <laughs> they don't praise just his fingers and they type now, right? They praise him, the entire person. An author's entire body, entire being, not just an individual part. And this is the beauty of belonging to a church, being unified as one body, that when one person is honored, we don't look at that and get competitive and go, man, I wish I could be honored. We'd rather go, man, I'm a part of this. I am honoring that person. It is wonderful to honor that person because we all get to rejoice because we're all a part of it. Because that person's victory is everybody's victory. That person's honor is everybody's honor. It's sort of like, being part of the family of someone famous. Like you kind of ride on the fumes of their fame, right? I'm, like, I'm, I'm part of this fame. Or maybe you're friends with someone famous and you're like, because I'm connected to them, I sort of get to bask in the glow of that. How much more to be part of the church? Where one part is honored, we're all honored. One part rejoices, we all get to rejoice together. No competition, no place for competition because we recognize we're connected, one body. This is the picture Paul calls the church to, God's word calls the church to, when we exercise our spirituality and our spiritual gifts, a oneness, a diversity, but a diversity that supports the oneness and a oneness that supports the diversity, just like our bodies. And so let me conclude by just saying a couple things here. First, if you struggle with self-pity, like if this is, this is what you're prone to, I want to encourage you in a couple things first. I want to point you back to where we started. That you have been baptized in the Spirit. You have the very Spirit of God. You have the power of God in your life at work. He has brought you into one body, the church. And in that, he has gifted you and empowered you to be part of that body. And so, yes, maybe the church isn't necessarily using your particular strengths and gifts out front. However, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have no place. It doesn't mean you aren't connected. In fact, let me encourage you in this. Still serve. Go serve. Maybe it's not exactly your strengths, exactly your gifts, but I guarantee you here's what's going to happen. One, God's going to use you. It's going to be amazing. And he's going to open doors for you to use your gifts. I think this is, again, where we miss out and how we understand spiritual gifts. And this is why I want you to come March 9th because we're going to talk more about this. We start from this individualistic perspective rather than stepping into the church, serving in the church, loving our body, and God opening doors to use those gifts. Friend, you are connected because you belong to the Spirit. Live in the good of that connection. Serve, love, disciple, and God will use you. Let me also say this, because I know this is, again, a, a struggle, I think, for a lot of us in this church. And, and we say this because, hey, First City wants to be a place where people who have been hurt by the church or maybe been worn out and beat up by life can be part of this church and find a safe community. But, but here's my fear, is that we let that take us out of the game. Let that sort of disconnect us and move us back in the corner and say we're less than. Friend, your weakness your sin, your brokenness doesn't mean God isn't going to use you. Friend, if you are in a place of weakness, if you are in a place of battling sin, if you are in a place where you are trying to recover from hurts and wounds, hey, that's okay. We love you. We want to support you and become alongside you. But also understand this, you're still connected to the body. 
You're still a vital part of the body. You still matter, and God's still at work in you. Yeah, maybe you're not being used to the full capacity that you could be in some ways. Maybe you don't have quite the same energy you used to, but don't disqualify yourself. Don't think that God can't use you, that you can't serve and be part of what he is doing in this church. No, sometimes he most powerfully uses you in your weakness, in your sin, as you're beat up. Because guess what? It's no longer you, right? (laughs) You're done. You're at the end of yourself. That's a perfect place to be for the Spirit. And so I do not hear me. I'm not saying disregard the healing and the work you need to do, but don't take yourself out of the game. Don't think that God can't use you. Every part connected, every part needed, you're needed. Let me also say this for those that struggle with self-sufficiency. Again, remember what the Spirit has done. That through Jesus Christ, you have now been baptized by the Spirit into one body, something bigger than yourself you belong to. Something far bigger than yourself you belong to the church. You're a part of a church. And so for you to use your gifts in the church, that's where the power of God is going to come alive. That's where the power of God is going to glorify himself in you and through you. Yes, it is good to want to serve the Lord. Yes, it is good to want to use your gifts. But use those gifts as he intended, part of a body where the power that is going to work through is so much greater than if you're doing it on your own. So turn from self-sufficiency. Turn from the self-regard. Don't drink at the well of culture that wants to say everything starts with you and come be part of the body, something bigger and more glorious than you. Church, let me conclude, conclude by saying this. This world wants the church weak. Wants us weak. Like it wants us so obsessed with ourselves and our sin and our fighting and our division. It wants a weak church because a weak church isn't proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. And here is a picture of how we push back against what the world wants for us. Rather than being full of self-pity and self-sufficiency, rather than wallowing in our sin, we honor one another. We love one another. We encourage and support one another and we use our gifts for the building up of the church. When we do that, yes, weakness. Yes, we'll still deal with sin. Yes, we'll still with brokenness. Yes, some of us are going to be stronger than others. But collectively as a church, guess what? We move forward. We move forward in power. We move forward in health. We move forward in strength. And through us, Christ builds his church. And so First City, yes, we are a place for broken, worn out sinners. I'm one of them. You're one of them. But let's not forget the power that resides in this body. Let's not forget that the Spirit has united us to one another because we've been united to Christ. And in that, in that, there's great power and great hope for us. And so here's what we need to do. We need to repent of our self-pity, repent of our self-sufficiency, trust in the power of Christ, trust in the power of the Spirit, and let's build a culture that honors one another and use our gifts. In that kind of church, the power of God is going to be put on display in this community and around the world. Amen? Let's pray.